So I'm going to be looking at um, Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. I encourage you to uh, actually take a pew Bible today because there's lots of stuff you'll want to look at ahead and behind and all that. Because this is, I think I wrote that this week. This is really the pinnacle verses of this book. Um, it captures the whole the whole deal. And so if you know a little bit about Hebrews, maybe you can scoot around as I'm, as I'm uh, preaching and see some of the other connections made as well. And obviously it's a great passage because it's inspired both Ruthann and Spencer already. Um, my prayer is that as we hear, particularly the reading of Scripture and then the explanation and um, expansion, that God speaks to each of us. Hebrews 10, I start at verse 19. Here's the Word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. We are, um, we're in that time, you can all feel it, we're in that September season shift. Um, in, in the span of my ministry life, um, nearly 30 years, ministry used to start the week after Labor Day, and now we usually get most things started somewhere in October. Um, when I was in Waterdown, everybody seemed to need to be in the fields or planting their garden, so we actually ended ministry then, back at the end of April, um, now it feels to me like it does carry on a lot longer into, we've adjusted things. That's cool. I'm getting a phone call. Should I take it? It's not my phone. Wow. There's lots of stuff on here, but it's not going to help me anymore. So, all right. Um, next slide. I kind of lost my spot with that one. So you may have heard this line. What is the therefore, therefore? And if you haven't, it's certainly not for me. It's a, an interpretive tool. Whenever you're reading along in the Bible and suddenly it says, therefore, pause and ask yourself the question, what is that therefore, therefore? In other words, what is it referring back to? Um, Romans 8, which I think is one of the pinnacle chapters of the entire Bible, starts with, therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ. Right? It points back to all that Paul has already said in the rest of Romans. Likewise here... One of the reasons I think that this little pericope, this section of Scripture is so central to the Bible is, or to Hebrews, is because of this therefore, and the fact that right after the therefore, it actually tells us what it's pointing backwards to. So you may look back and find these things, but I'm going to tell you that they get summarized for us right in these verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we, and then we're going to get all those kinds of details. All right, there's going to be three facts and then three acts. And basically all that does is it 
summarizes in two cool little words how this little passage is structured. Right, so we're going to hear three things about Jesus, and I'll point those out to you. And then from that, there's going to be three lettuces. It's sort of like a salad, right? There's lettuce do this, lettuce do this, lettuce do this. And when you read English anyways, right, those kind of repeated words are your keys to, there's a pattern here, there's a structure. And there happens to be three and three in this one, so this makes this a six-point sermon. So fact one is that Jesus is the sacrifice. Probably not earth-shaking news to you if you've been a member of the church. But what you're going to notice as we go is that Jesus is more than just the sacrifice. And that sometimes might expand us. So, um, Jesus on the cross was a sacrifice, a payment for our sins. And if you've been in church for more than three weeks, I hope you've heard that before. Because that's just kind of that core foundational thing. Right? But as we understand that you might want to look back earlier in chapter 10 because it actually actually tells us in my slang god doesn't give a rip about sacrifices that's not a direct quote but it is a quote from isaiah the lord doesn't need a sacrifice in order to restore a relationship with people you know why because he's god I didn't just come up with that. It's in Hebrews. And it's in Isaiah. So, huh. You know I like pointing to things in the Bible that don't fit with our theology, right? Because it makes us think. And one of the things that keeps making me think is that this Jesus thing is just a little bit more mysterious than we've thought all along, right? And I understand why we want theology, and we do need a framework. We do need all those things. But sometimes we make it so clear for us so that it'll be simpler that we lose the power and the mystery. Now, Jesus was a sacrifice. His blood does atoning work. But, isn't it an amazing thought? God didn't need that. He put it in place. He gave us the Old Testament version of it in Leviticus with lots of details. He guided those people so they'd be in tune with that kind of a thing. But ultimately, if you really finally think about it, God can just by grace say, you know what? You're in, you're with me, you're okay. He chooses to use the sacrifice through the Old Testament. He shows us in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of that. But the Bible itself in Hebrews says he didn't need that. He's God. He's a little bit more amazing even than our entire theological system of understanding him talks about. And this, Jesus is also the temple curtain. So by the blood of Christ, we enter in by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Right? So maybe you remember, I think it's Luke's version of the um, Easter story. Good Friday story, actually. As Jesus dies, the temple curtain is torn in two. And that temple curtain was a veil shielding people from being too close into the presence of God. Or, as someone else put it, that temple curtain kept God in and now it let him out. Either way, there's this connection in Jesus Christ through that symbol of the veil being torn of, of humans and God coming together. And what was Jesus other than fully God and fully human? Jesus and, or humans and God coming together. Everything about Jesus is about God and us together. But Emmanuel means God with us in all circumstances, all experiences, in all ways. So earlier in Hebrews, again, the author tells us that Jesus is actually the temple, that 
tabernacle in the Old Testament, that was the tent version of it, and the building, the temple that David built, and the second temple that Herod built. Those are just shadows, he says, of what was to come. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the temple, right? And he's one more thing. We're not done yet. Everything comes in threes in the Bible. Jesus is the priest, and this is the main point of Hebrews. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus? So, Jesus, the first one, we, that's just basic. Every Good Friday we nail that. Jesus is the sacrifice. It's by his blood. We have that in communion. Jesus is the temple. Right? I've tried to get you to stop calling this place the church because you're the church. Because you are the temple of God if the Holy Spirit lives in you. Right? That kind of language. You are part of Jesus. Again, we're, we're getting a a deeper and a broader and a richer understanding of what this means to be a part of this deal of what God is doing. And then Jesus is the priest means that, well, I'll just show you because I think I have it on a slide. It's this. Because of Jesus, we go with Jesus through Jesus. Does that help? It's sort of like this. You all came to church this morning with the church to do church, didn't you? building we call the church we as the people are the church and when you say you go to church you mean you're going to a worship service right there's this mysterious thing and i guess i just gave you permission to continue to call the building a church okay go ahead i'm not going to stop you anyways apparently but jesus is never just the one thing we want him to be we can't just narrow down what jesus was doing to well he was the sacrifice for me yeah he was but he was also the one who took you there and he's also the one you walk through to get there. Jesus is all of the above. Now, I'm going to say this next piece carefully because I'm going to slightly disagree with our synod, which is the collection of us meeting. They, they said, I don't know exactly what they said, actually. It was about the penal substitutionary atonement. I'm not sure that means anything to you, but if it does, you'll be tracking with me for sure. So Synod decided that, yes, that is the right way to interpret what Jesus did. I only want to do this nuance change of that. It's a right way to understand what Jesus did. You cannot capture who Jesus is and what he did for us in any one simple theological statement. So does penal substitutionary atonement, assuming you know what that means, work? Absolutely. That's the legal understanding. It came from guys like Calvin, who was a lawyer before he was a theologian. But there's also a ransom theory. There's an example theory. There's all kinds of other ways of understanding. It's because Jesus isn't captured in just one way of understanding what he did. We're never going to fully have a theology. This is what keeps me in business, by the way. We're never going to have fully a theology where we just say, it's these three things, you got those, and we're all set. Right? Sometimes we've had this thing where we... For example, there's the Roman road, right? If you know these four Bible verses and then you apply them to somebody, you can lead them to understand who Jesus is. You can start them on that journey. And I'm not saying don't do that, but understand that what Jesus did is so deep and complicated and powerful and God that if you fully understand exactly how it all works, you're probably wrong, right? That's why I've always explained the Trinity. If you can explain the Trinity so that it makes logical sense, you're wrong. That's heresy. 
because the Trinity is three in one at the same time, and we can't do three in one because we're human. God is three in one because he's God. Right? So, because of all of this wonderfully complex stuff, however you come at Jesus, what this really wants to say is, because of Jesus, we go with Jesus, through Jesus, to Jesus, really. Jesus has got this. Right? So Rosanna already pointed out earlier the confidence thing. And I want to suggest there's three things that we need to do. This is the first act, and it's confidence connecting. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So because Jesus is all those things and he fulfilled everything the Old Testament could possibly imagine in ways beyond our, our understanding, because Jesus is temple, Jesus is sacrifice, Jesus is priest, He's got this. He covered this. God doesn't even need those things. He's just proclaiming to us, you can now come to me. And I must admit, I'm rather baffled about how to get us to do this. I think I've said here before, and I know I've said many times in my life, as a follower of Jesus Christ with a particular calling as a pastor, you can come to me with anything, in honesty and confession, with your sincere heart, with your open voice, with your clear sharing, and I will lead you in both confession and assurance. We come with confidence because we're already assured of what happens next. Nathan and I are watching a, a television show, a Netflix kind of a show, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. I never tell people what I watch because there's always something in there that would be offensive to you because it's television. So I'm watching television. That's my confession. But on this show, these people who are making no effort to pretend they're church people or that it's a Christian show, they share with each other with such amazing, brutal honesty about some of the stupid things that they've done that are just plain wrong and hurtful. And then they go, thank you for telling me that. And I'm going, why isn't that us? Why is that not what church is really all about? Why am I not so incredibly busy because people are continually calling me and saying, I've got to come in and talk to you about something that's going on in my life so that I can tell you, oh yeah, that's rough. Yeah, you're right, that's probably wrong. But God forgives you and let's move on forward. Why not? And I can answer that question because I don't think I can for you. I have some thoughts and ideas, and I know where my struggles are. That is what we've been given in Christ. That totally complicated thing I told you about Jesus and Jesus, Jesus and Jesus, means that we can, with confidence, at any time, open ourselves up to another follower of Jesus Christ, and what we should be receiving is the assurance that, yeah, surprise, surprise, you did something wrong. That's part of the journey. Now let's let it go. Let's bring it to the cross. Let's forgive it. Let's let Jesus touch you in that spot and let's move forward. Second part of that, we're still on Act 1. Being confident in a clean conscience. So the big deal of Hebrews as a book is that it keeps coming back to what the Old Testament rituals of sacrifice and so on could not accomplish is they could not clean your conscience. 
They did not clear your soul. Because what would happen is, on the Day of Atonement, they would sacrifice goats, and they would send a scapegoat out into the desert and so on. But everybody there knew that next year, on the same day, Day of Atonement, we're going to do the same thing, which is pretty much a guarantee we're going to the same place, which means on the way back home, we're probably going to mess this up again. And I suggest to you that we tend to live in kind of a Old Testament mentality that way. That might be part of our challenge. And again, I don't know how to get us all to understand how incredibly beautiful and powerful this is. Because this is what it says. And this is true. We've had our hearts sprinkled. Again, read a little earlier. It quotes Jeremiah 31. I'm not just going going to tell them the new rules, said God. I am going to give them a new heart. I'm going to write my law upon their heart. So what God is saying is that in Jesus Christ, the real miracle is he's put truth inside of you. And he's cleansed your conscience right there. Heart sprinkled to clean clean us or cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Right? We've been given that gift. Yet we know we still struggle with those things. But what if your conscience was like those crazy non-Christian people on the television show that I'm watching that you knew that when you did something wrong, the very next step you need to do is go, oh yeah, by the way, I did this and it was wrong and and, and I'm really sorry. And then you're on your way again. Because your conscience is clear, so clear that you know if I actually confess, I'll be forgiven. So I might as well just confess because then I'll be forgiven. Why would I sit in this? Why would I sit in this? Why do we sit in this stuff? Folks, why do we sit in that stuff? And having our bodies washed with pure water. I have, um, on occasion, had the privilege of hearing someone's confession about sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, um, inappropriately being engaged with somebody sexually, and praying for them. And I pray this, boldly and in faith. I pray that that they become a virgin again. Because I believe that God's cleansing power can restore you, right? There's a bodily healing here. And again, I know we're not doing science on that one. This is a spiritual cleansing of allowing our bodies to go back to where they started from. Or is it when we do sexual sin, that's on you forever and you never get to get past that? I know we've done it that way, but it's not true. It's not true. God's grace is so powerful that he can cleanse our conscience such that we are able to step into his presence and be honest with him and have our bodies washed as with pure water. The symbol of that is a little bit of water we use for baptism. The truth of that is when we allow our physical selves to be restored in Christ as well. Act 2, holding hope. So let us hold, again, this is always because, therefore, because of all the stuff that Christ has accomplished for us, therefore, let us hold unswervingly, straight line, to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Do you know the symbol for hope? Anyone? Anchor. Apparently you don't know it. Now you do. Symbol for hope is an anchor. An anchor is usually, of course, tied to a chain if it's a big ship or a rope if it's a smaller boat, right? And you put the anchor in. And if it catches, if it's caught in Jesus, it's caught in something pretty solid, right? Let's at least disagree on that part. You can pull yourself forward along, or you can just hang on to that. And hope is an anchor because our hope is that who Jesus is 
is who he said he was and what he did is true and that we're going to go with Jesus right to the end. So my anchor is straight down. There's a great walkway all the way to the road there. It's way down there because I'm hoping to be around for a while yet. And I'm hanging on to that anchor with the trust that if I just hang on here, the tension between of the line between me and Jesus will just pull me straight and narrow, you know that language, right, to where he is. And all i got to do is hang on to that hope. And the reason I have hope is not because I'm such a good hanger-oner. Sure, that's good English. Kids, we've got to go back to school. But it's because he's faithful, right? So I'm not sure how to put this into the analogy, but I'm pretty sure I can let go. Because I've seen people let go, and he keeps hanging on to me, right? My life verse is not that I've obtained all this or already arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's this sort of mutual embrace kind of thing. He's got me by the wrist, I've got him by the wrist, and when I let go, he's still hanging on. There's this relational piece to this that guarantees it. He is faithful, so this will happen. And then, act three, get going. The third lettuce is this. Let us consider how we may spur. So I asked one of our resident horse people about spurs and if they could bring me some so that I could wear them. And they said, those are mean and I can't find any, I don't have any. That's a short version of that conversation. So we won't use spurs on horses. So we have to consider, because that's what the passage tells us to do, how do we spur one another? Give me a hint, it's not with real spurs. Apparently they're hard to get. But what, what motivates you toward love? Remember, you've got to read the whole sentence. We like to spur each other on. Historically, we've used guilt, right? We may resort to begging if we need to. Depends how many people we get for kids' ministry. But how do we actually spur on human beings toward love? I think, following Jesus by love and if you're a manager of systems you think boy that's so inefficient yeah it is it takes a long time to spur people with love towards love such that they throw themselves into what they're meant to throw themselves into not what I think they're meant to be in because they want to love that much so this is my commitment to you on this one I'm going to spend however long it is that I get to preach here, Lord willing and you willing, I guess, together, on how to love one another no matter what. One theme, I got 11 years till I retire, so it might be one theme for 11 years. The good news is, there's no passage in this book that doesn't apply, so I can use them all. But we're not going to get there as much as I want to, by cajoling you or guilting you, yelling at you. This would be a really good sermon to yell in. I got a, I got a feeling I really want to yell. But we're going to get there because we know how loved we are. And we'll know how loved we are when some of us are able to take that step of saying, hey, I believe in this clear conscience thing. I'm going to open up. I'm going to allow. I'm going to just be 
myself in Christ, cleansed and healed. And when you tell that story, that will spur others on toward love and good deeds. Because the good deed becomes a good deed because of the love. Right? You can do amazing things for other people, but if it's not love that's penetrating your heart and shaping you and molding you and pushing you out there, right? go back and let yourself be loved again. Let yourself be loved again. Right? We need to become, as simple as it sounds, a community that really knows how to deeply love each other, no matter what, through what, through all of our differences, through our brokenness, and that will spur us on toward love and good deeds. And then 3B, sinking in extra points. Getting together. Spur each other on towards love and good need, deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And we're going, hey, look at us, we nailed it. We're here today. We met together. Yeah, you're going to guess. I'm probably going to say something a little different. I used to preach this as a small groups sermon. Wrong again. Sorry. Sorry to me, too, because I wish that's what it said. The meeting here is not about numbers of people and size of groups and spaces in which you meet, right? Because this is a passage about having a free conscience in Christ, having been set free by Christ who did Christ who did Christ, and then spurring each other on through love. So sneaking suspicion here is that meeting together is those kind of meetings where you are in a intimate, meaningful Personal, real, heartfelt, open, do I need more words? Conversation. Where you are the real you, naked and unashamed, really, is probably the best way to put it. Genesis 2, maybe the late one. When we can meet the actual people who are part of our life, not the mask, not the part we want to show, the real person, their clear conscience self, then we are pretty much automatically going to be spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. It's not a secret. This has been the journey all along. Let's just start by admitting, man, that's hard. I am terrified fully enter into that which I fully believe. Isn't that amazing? That's Romans 7, different sermon coming later in the fall. Do not give up meeting together. It's not about how often you can show up in a group or in a building. It's do you have a place where you're actually there, fully you. And then patient expectation, calm urgency. The Bible is full of these sort of mixed up emotional things, right? Encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. But with this sense that the day is approaching, right? So for all of us, there's a day approaching when we're no longer part of this journey over here, right? The day is approaching when Christ is going to return. We've kind of lost that urgency because it's been so long. Maybe we need to figure out how to ramp that up as well. Your life in Christ, because of all that he's done and all that is true in this world, is meant to be an urgent journey of figuring out, what else do I got to do? How else do I enter in? What's the next way that I can experience his love so that I can spur one another on towards love and good deeds?
that urgency needs to be a part of who we are to take any one of these steps. So, let's go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you did. And however we understand or misunderstand that, we do know that you acted as love in love and for the purpose of producing love. And so we pray, help us, help us to take that one step that we need to take to come nearer and still nearer to you. Help us not to just sing those beautiful words, but to do them. And help us, Lord, to find that place of cleansing, of healing, of forgiveness, of restoration, where it's experienced fully. And Lord, we pray that that may multiply among us, day by day, step by step, one person at a time, one conversation at a time. Lord Jesus. Here we are, we offer ourselves to you in hope, and we trust as we hang on to you, we will continue to head in this direction. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.